You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 545. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the Netflix mystery series, Bodies. And this is the penultimate episode, so, you know, I know we're scrambling for what we're going to do next. Maybe we do the uh, Taylor Swift documentary. What do you think? Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, wait, wrong team. Sorry. (sighs) Never mind. Forget forget that. Well, my daughter, even my... uh, my daughter was super stoked to hear that Taylor Swift is coming to Baltimore. <clears throat> not obviously not to for a concert, but to watch a football game. But unfortunately, she's going to be in Florida for a field hockey tournament. So I told her I would reach out over you know Instagram, ask ask Taylor if uh, she needed a place to crash, and we have some extra beds available. But uh, my daughter discouraged me from doing okay, it. Now, she's going to be in Florida. I know they've banned a lot of things in Florida. Do they still have TV? Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, when Ron DeSantis is not there, they're able to. But unfortunately, it appears he's coming back now and yeah. sooner than he thought. For a so, while. Uh, yeah. not, uh, He'll go back to uh, returning his attempts to uh, return Florida to um, the antebellum period. All right. Well, anyway, um, for you guys out there, reminder that we typically record on Mondays. So any feedback's got to be in by Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Audio feedback has a strict six-minute time limit at this point. Uh, if you want to contact us with feedback, questions, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. Uh, check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. All right, so what I am watching, um, I, I mentioned last time um, that I had a show I wanted to talk briefly about, and I didn't get to it. I forget now what the hell I was talking about, but oh, oh, Money Heist, <laughs> which okay, uh, right. I just, I'm starting right. the last- the last, last we checked, you were uh, fast forwarding. Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> getting ready to start the final part, which I believe is part five. Anyway- we checked out a show called Threesome, which is a Swedish production made for Viaplay, which is that Scandinavian streaming right. service that I've mentioned on more than one occasion. Uh, second season's already been released in Australia and apparently Sweden. And, and I know with Fred and Orphan Black Echoes, I don't know what the deal is with these shows that release first in Australia. I know they're ahead of us on the um, timeline i forget or behind i can't remember um, it's like, linda like yeah, <laughs> help us out here um but anyway um so so the premise here is uh, a swedish couple is living in england while she goes to law school they're part of a party season uh, i'm sorry a party scene which is of course not unusual for a pair of 24 year olds we learn that they've been together as a couple for seven years. So, you know, since they were 17 and in high school at a party, they meet a French female artist and end up back at her place. So at at this point, I'll refer you back to the series title. (laughs) Um, But so that it just, they just do it for the rest of each episode. No, actually what happens is it becomes really about the psychological and emotional aftermath of this, uh, you know, one time, you know, uh, affair. Yeah. 
And it, dude, it is extremely graphic visually. It, it basically checks all our boxes, although no violence. Uh, but it's so heavy on our other two, you know, cr- yeah. critical uh, points that uh, I think you can live without the violence. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, I, I watched a boatload of movies. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a writer director named Emerald Fennell. But she was the writer-director of a movie called Promising Young Woman starring Carrie Mulligan. And if you haven't seen it, it's on – God, now I can't remember I whether it's on Netflix or Prime. But really, really good. Really, really okay. disturbing. Uh, also, she did a movie, Emerald Fennell, that is, the writer-director, called Saltburn, which I'm almost positive is on – uh, that's that's on Prime. Yes, because I, I am like Amazon Prime really, really wants me to watch that movie. Okay. So it, it's like the like the equivalent of the uh, the car salesman. Because every time I turn it on, hey, how about Saltburn? Well, it, it, again, it is uh, an English film, certainly referred to as Eat the Rich. So, so it, it focuses on, you know, this guy that becomes a part of this, this ultra wealthy family, m- most of whose members are completely insipid. And again, it's one of these storylines that. You sure you weren't watching Succession? Uh, no, it's, uh, <laughs> trust me, it, you know, it makes them look like JV players. Um, all right. All right. Maybe that's a bit of a, an exaggeration. Uh, and then the last movie I, I messaged you that I saw it, yeah. and that is, of course, yeah. Barbie. That one surprised me, Dave. Like, it took me forever to get you to watch Deadpool, then you up and watch Barbie all on your own, man. What's up? With I that? know. So, directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie, not at all what I thought it was going to be. Freaking amazing. Now, full disclosure, I had seen the opening scene before. Uh, just uh, as a trailer or whatever, which is if you've seen Barbie and you've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know it is a full-on homage to Stanley Kubrick's uh, classic film. I know you disagree, but... uh, Well, it it is a classic. That's a good point. I just don't think it's (laughs) very good. (laughs) But it's definitely a classic. But certainly a lot of allusions to other films uh cultural uh references i think there's might might even be a terminator reference in there but uh yeah i I mean if you haven't seen barbie and and you have max or some other way to see it not nudge nudge wink wink um (laughs) check it out all right yeah i I, yeah i I enjoyed barbie i i wasn't i don't think i was as head over heels about as you are but it's obviously it's a very well-made movie is not what you expect. It's very postmodern. Lots of uh, fourth wall breaking going on and stuff. So it was good. I mean, now you can take the shoes and return to your life as Barbie or. Right, right, right. <laughs> you can. That's great. You know, so. Uh, well, and they literally wanted to put her back in the box. Right? Yeah. Like I thought that was yeah. kind of cool that they brought out a big box that she was supposed to get into. And- so, yep. All right. What do you got? Okay, well, uh, we just mentioned Succession, so I might as well just piggyback on that because I did finally uh, end up 
watching all of all four seasons of Succession. Um, now, have you? I can't remember. If oh you yeah, yeah, seen I've it. seen it all. Okay, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do any spoiler for anyone out there. I'm not gonna talk about any of the plot points. It's just that um, you know it, it's one of those shows, not unlike 2001. Right? As I watch 2001, I understand that it is good. I understand that it is very creative and artistically uh, a great work of art. By the same design, I, I, I understand that in my head as I watch Succession that this is a good show, right? This is very well written. Acting is out of this world, you know. Um, but when it gets down to it, it is not a show that I was – I mean, it took me forever to, to watch it and finish it. Um, and it was only over winter break <clears throat> that I finally was – you know, knuckled down just basically just to get it done. Like, I'm like, man, I must, you know, but I didn't really enjoy it, you know? And I, I go back to like what I had said before about it. It's just, for me, it's extremely difficult watching people that are as entitled as the, um, Roy, the Roy family, you know, like, I'm not like, I, like where I have to have a good guy that I need the good guy to win and all that stuff. It's just that to watch these just, Entitled obnoxious douchebags over and over again, screwing each other over. It's just like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, I understand that it was really good. It was, and there were parts that were very funny. There were parts that were very dramatic and intense. The acting was top notch. I just really didn't. And, and I know I am in a extreme minority here. I know everyone else loved Succession, thought it was the greatest. I thought it was it was very good. But, like, I'm never going to want to watch it ever again. I'll never go back to it. I, I wasn't, I like, I, you know, as I was thinking about it during the day, I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to watch that next episode of Succession, you know. And it's just me, you know. And I understand that. And it's I'm probably way off in my assessment of it. But that's just kind of how I felt about it. I can, yeah. I can see that. You know, I mean, this, there's not really any characters you really like. No, there, there's There's none. There's zero. Yeah. <laughs> There's zero likable characters in that. But, you know, but the, though I would, I have to say Cousin Greg, if if I kind of was a little bit pulling for anyone, is poor Cousin Greg. Just because. Yeah. But he's still just as bad as all right. the rest. Nah, you know, nah, so. I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that is one show that ended that I was not sorry to see end, but another show that just recently ended, I was very sorry to see end. And I wish, I wish, I said wish, I wish Mr. Jared Kizo, this is a plea. Jared, if you're listening, which I sincerely doubt you are, but maybe somehow by six degrees of separation, this will reach your ears. I beg you to consider creating more Letter Kenny. I get it. So, you know, I, basically, I think it's like 12 seasons. Each season's like, you know, six episodes, and each episode's like 20 minutes long. So, Jerry, you, you could kick out a season of Larry Kenny, no problem, bud. This is a show I've really, really enjoyed. Super funny, uh, super hilarious. Doesn't need a lot of plot. They just need the simplest of uh, of things to, to, to be happening as a plot device for – the characters really is such a dialogue based comedy. Um, and the, the writing is so witty and so clever and so freaking funny. Ah, I'm really, I mean, we still got Shorzy, 
which Dave, I know you're excited about, but you know, it's kind of a bummer to see uh, the Letter Kenny crew broken up. And I, I hope all the the actors and writers and everything. I'm sure they'll they've got stuff waiting for them. It was a heck of a show on Hulu, by the way. If anyone has not seen it yet, you got Hulu. Uh, cannot recommend a show more than Letter Kenny. All right, sounds good. And maybe next time we'll uh, talk about the uh, new new Doctor Who companion. Yeah, I have. I, I, well, I mean, we can talk about it later. But I just I've been seeing stuff about like the Doctor Who companion, but I'm like trying not to read it. Okay, because I don't. Did did the the girl who's playing did she quit or something? Oh, I don't know what the circumstances are. You know why she's being replaced. Um, whether that was the intention all along or not, but. I haven't even seen the episodes with her in them yet, <laughs> so I guess I better. Oh, it's just the one. Oh, it's just the one. Okay. Well, so yeah. far, I mean, she's right, 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 right. Um, so, um, so she's going to be in the ones, you know, whenever the season drops. Um, the the new girl um, is in a show, uh, a British crime drama that that my wife and I have watched called Annika, and she's really she's not the main character, but she's certainly gets a lot of screen time and rides a motorcycle, wears black leather all the time. Very cool character in that show. So um, anyway, all right, well, let's get to bodies. Episode seven of season one, the penultimate episode titled catch me if you can written by Paul Tomlin and Danusia Samal directed by Howlu Wang the series was released October 19th, 2023. So, for the second episode in a row, we get an extended year-specific story at the beginning. This one lasts for 28 minutes, but wow, was it that long? Yeah, but but the the yeah. kicker this time is it's not 1890; it's 1889. Right now, one of the things that I still struggle with is the whole notion. Well, by, by the end, it catches us up to 1890. Well, it does, but then the question yeah. is. When he goes back, you know, every time this loop occurs, is he always going back to 1889? And then it's just that we haven't seen him until he progresses into 1890. So I guess that's probably the case. Well, yeah, because we see him in 1890. He's established enough that the, you know, people know who he is. They know not to mess with him, right? So, yeah, it's certainly I, he must go back to 188. Though, I'm going put this out here now. I mean, we'll probably talk more about it later. Are we actually in a loop, Dave? Well, see, here's the thing I struggle with when we talk about time loops. There's no beginning and no end. Okay. I, I don't even know how to respond to that. So if there's no beginning or no end – then why are you trying to break the loop? And why are you trying to break the loop when there's no beginning and no end? If it's it's truly, but that's the thing is that time continues after he goes back, right? Yeah. So are these loops just a part of an actual linear occurrence? Yeah. You know, and that's his, his flaw for Mannix, uh, Elias Harker, Hark, Julie Harker, Elias Mannix, whatever. This flaw is that he 
he does think he's in a loop and that everything's just going to work out the same way all the time. He just has to go by script. But what he forgets is that, that there is time does continue after, right? But there's an element after and before that are not part of this loop. So instead of him, you know, everyone assumes that this things just keep happening over and over again, but that doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, you- but if these, if these two, quote, unquote, loops here are just part of the linear timeline, which that's what I kind of th- – see, I, I didn't really think this out super well, but this is just what I thought when I was watching, that what we have here is not a loop, but just a linear timeline that has like kind of like a repeated chorus in it, you know? Okay. Um, so do we have multiple – you know, we always we used to talk about branched timelines, and, and I think we, we understand what that means in time travel stories. And, and again, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Could we have branched loops? So, in other words, are there multiple loops, uh, all okay. slightly different, or sure. am I, you know, just you know, going off the deep end with that? Um, well, I think that they, you know, they, when, I forgot that Iris had gone back. Um, so, and I, I almost went and watched the next episode right away, but I'm like, you know what, I'm going to hold off so that all the stupid stuff I say to tonight, uh, we can see how it shakes out because I totally forgot about that part. Um, I know there's other people who are going to go back in time and everything, and I'm 90 8% sure that uh, Hassan, Shahar Hassan, uh, is going to go back 30 years. Um, so, but then, they, you know, but they, they're successful, right? They, they break it. They stop the loop. So, I don't know. No, we'll see. There, now, and, and, now I've lost myself. Well, well, I've talked myself into a loop. Well, Hassan tells <laughs> Iris and Defoe, the universe wants him alive. I've been trying to stop him for 30 years. And then, of course, Iris says, well, if the universe wants him alive, we just need to outsmart the universe, which I thought was just a wonderful line. Yeah, that's a great line. But Very hubristic. But right. So, good line. so we don't know to what extent Hassan has gone to in these 30 years. I mean, has she you know, literally tried to kill him? We don't know. I mean, she certainly seems to be willing to do whatever is necessary to bring back her son killing Elias Mannix. I would certainly think that's on the table and you would think that would be probably number one. And we have to then believe by what she tells Iris that I tried, it just didn't work. So why does this suddenly break the loop? You know, him, you know, uh, exploding the bomb because it's almost like, okay, fine. Exploding the bomb. That's not going to be the catalyst for the know you are loved movement, but there'll be something else that will be the catalyst for the know you are loved movement. Or, or he doesn't blow the bomb and just disappears. Well, and, and, and of course that is what, ends up happening in the in the series finale you know one of the things in the uh, 1890 that i noticed this time is uh, harker removes his glove we have to assume deliberately before turning off the oil lamp Uh. 
because you know think about it i would right. i would think that this this oil or whatever they you know whatever powers this uh, lamp in 1890 would generate a fair amount of heat so you'd think you'd want to leave your glove on to turn it off but so he deliberately right. takes it off De- you have to assume deliberately to leave a fingerprint yes sure absolutely because he he has to go by the script yes he has to do everything as he's already told himself that he needs to do right which we really think about think about the immense amount of information he's had to memorize right it's not like he could shove take notes and put it up in his butt crack or something take it back with him right he goes back to 1890 it's him or natural, right? <clears throat> so everything that he has to do, he, he has to have memorized, right? All the investments he has to make, he has he has to have memorized them. He's has he has to memorize all the details about how he meets Polly. And of course, there's a you know he's he, there's no no one is going to be able to do that, right? So I think part of the the kick he gets out of this is. The idea of, is this really going to work? You know, I mean, this is what I told myself I need to do, but what if I didn't remember it 100% right like I'm supposed to? You know, I think he's like just jazzed by the idea of not, I mean, yeah, bringing about the world, but this idea that it could all go wrong, right? He might have gotten the detail wrong and it doesn't happen. And so while he is, you know, as I've said a number of times, going by script, there's, there's got to be that awareness in his in his mind as he's going through his life that did I, Oh, was that, was that what I was supposed to do exactly? Or, you know? Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could argue that he'd only need a few key pieces of information to get himself started. Um, you know, invest in Ford motor company, uh, invest in general electric or whatever Edison's company is, uh, you know, things like that bet on, you know, this team to win the American World Series. But but regardless, I, I want to go to that scene in the police wagon where they're transporting Alfred to prison and it stops and Harker gets in and he kind of implies that his plan failed. He says, I truly tried to create a world where you and Henry could be open with your love. So that kind of confused me except from the standpoint that it answers the question that if you've created a world in 2053 that is as you want it to be why do you keep going back now somebody might answer it's a time loop well that's just a very unsatisfying answer for me so then we go to well it's not the world he really envisions maybe it's close but that comment he makes to Alfred implies, you know, that he failed and, and that he's trying again. So, again, it's not something I really noticed the first couple times I watched this episode. You know, I, I think when, when Harker tells – because I actually took a note on this. He tells Alfred that he tried to create a world where Harker and Alfred could belong together. Okay. He's like, you and I could belong together. And I thought that was just a, just a really weird line. Either way, I don't know what to make of it. I actually, in my note, I said, what does that even mean? You know, but you're right. It, 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 either way, it does show maybe some dissatisfaction 
with, well, obviously with the world as this, because the world that he's in in eighteen ninety, that's the world he's trying to change. Right, and the uh, hundred years or so that follow. Right. Who who does the painting of Defoe? Yeah, and, and why? That, right? And why? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone just hanging out. Hey, look at that! So I'm paint a picture of that dude. Hopefully, I can get it done before the, uh, the police show up and take the body away. Yeah, I mean, I assume seems like it'd be a pretty rushed job. You know? One of the cult members, but again, I I I don't understand why you do that, except as a talking piece to feel somebody out for whether they're, you know, a viable member of the cult. And, and, and of course, I, I think he knows Polly's reaction initially, you know, leaves it, it open that, okay, yeah, she seems pretty open. She's not shocked by anything. So that's a good sign. And, and, you know, whether or not we believe he really falls in love with her or not, debatable sometimes i feel like i do believe it and and the rest of the time you know i don't know yeah yeah it's tough because it's it's still an orchestrated relationship right how can you feel like there's any genuine aspect of this relationship when it's you've orchestrated from the very beginning right sure right so um yeah that that's that that would be that's definitely a question that i have about that for sure um, so do we assume that, that Mannix, yeah, I, I keep wanting to call in my notes, Mannix Harker. I don't know why I have to keep putting that obviously, you know, if, I, I, every time I write, I think I write differently. I think pretty much, you know, it's 50, 50, what I call them in my notes. Right. So do we assume that Mannix recognizes Defoe and, and the danger that he poses and, you know, that's you know, kind of what this, this game of cat and mouse is really all about. And and the episode title, catch me if you can, which really could apply to several of these characters. So, so whether it's, it's uh, Harker Mannix to Defoe, catch me if you can Defoe to Iris, catch me if you can. Uh, And, and yeah, that's, that's a great question actually, because yeah, like, I mean, obviously it's, does he see Gabriel as something beyond just the thing that gets these four detectives involved, gets them to play out their part in the loop? Like, because he doesn't know that Gabriel jumped to the future as well. Right. And, and we right? we get that solidified in this episode as Iris uh, – finds Defoe's briefcase and then, you know, looks at his notebook and, and opens up that, that drawing with the different timelines in it and deduces that he's going to appear in four days, right? Do I have it? See, I keep thinking. I think it's right, right. In four days so that they go wait in the alleyway uh, with the you know the headgear that her her Iris's brother right. has given to them and and you know. fortunate that her brother has just the stuff to heal a head wound. Um, yeah, what she say? What do you got for a hole in the head? <laughs> and, yeah, uh, obviously just the thing, right? And, and we've we've certainly talked about this with Iris. We see her sobbing in her apartment. Uh, 
is it just because her worldview has been shattered and and that this man who she followed doesn't turn out to be the man she thought he was right well this is exactly the issue that fred or alan as he's called himself this week uh raised that exact same question why is she crying and that's that that's a excellent um yeah i i, I was wondering the same thing as clearly you are as well right. I, I mean we talked last week about the reason that she would you know feel this loyalty to him because the society that he's built is what's enabled somebody with her genetic condition to be able to walk and, and, and lead a life she would not have been able to lead otherwise. So we get that. That said, I think, well, here, here's the thing. When she goes back to her apartment and she looks at the table, because we forget that she was just having dinner with Gabriel. Oh, just, right. A little bit ago, right. right? It's not like a new day even, you know? So, you know, she was having this nice date, was even slyly suggesting that it might go further, enjoying herself, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, she's shooting the guy in the head. Well, that is a good which point. Which happens more often than you think. Dave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so so I, I think, as one of the, the things Fred was talking about, is that she genuinely was kind of into Gabriel, not Daniel, Fred. Daniel Defoe was French writer. But Gabriel, see, I think she's genuinely into him and is genuinely upset at herself for shooting him. Well, and I think you're right. And I we mentioned that, that comment she makes, uh, you know, about the best first date ever. And, and there was an element of truth in that. And, and of course you know things did not turn out the way she hoped they would but uh no i i think that's a a great point that that you make that i didn't even think about that as she got back to her apartment just a couple hours yeah, later there's just a brief scene where she looks at the table and all the the cups and the plates are still out right because everything happened so crazy right like at once it went from nice dinner to shooting in the head like in a very quick succession. Yeah. I love Iris telling Hassan to shut the fuck up about your son and move the hell on like everybody else. You know, everybody's got yeah. pain. And, and, and we talked last time she brings up the idea that, well, okay, so what you, you're going to save your son and maybe all of these other people won't even exist. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm saying. So. Yeah. Well, I think she's also saying that, you know, there's loads of people who lost people. You know, like, you're not the only person who lost someone. Exactly. Right, you right, know? right. Like that too. Now, is that a little harsh? I found that a little harsh. But, you know, still, I get it from Iris' standpoint because we know Iris's father died, right? Right. So, you know, I, if I were Iris, I might also be like, stop moaning about your kid when, you know, like loads of people lost. I lost someone. Everyone's lost. Someone. Yeah. Now, Iris finds herself naked in 1890 without her spine. 
did she consider she'd be leaving that behind? I, I guess you have to think no. That no, right? Yeah. You know, we've talked about the fact that you know, you know, only organic material seems to travel through time, which is why you know uh, everybody arrives naked. Right? Exactly. Uh, why everybody arrives naked and why the bullet drops to the floor right outside right. the throat. And of course, that's what happens with her spine as well. And and just as she's lying there, fuck, fuck, and it's like you yeah. just so feel what she's feeling at that point. Yeah, and which Alan said, I think it would have been probably a lot better if Sam Beckett, every time he got to a new place, instead of saying, "Oh boy," yeah. Drop the F on a couple. Times. Yeah, well, if they ever bring that back to Netflix or something, well, of course they could. But anyway, um, I, what what's on? Uh, oh, you got Peacock. I guess it's on Peacock. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, which I am, I am. I don't know if I'll ever get Peacock. I'm so annoyed with what they did in the NFL playoffs. You know, taking the playoff game and putting it on a streaming service that you had to pay for—that's BS, man. Yeah. Like, you know. What, what is this world coming to, Dave? Well, that's the NFL, not Peacock. Right. Well, but Peacock's in yeah, on it. Yeah, well, true, true. Um, all right, speaking about being in on it, Harker brings Holly up. Uh, Holly. Harker bring, that was a nice segue, Dave. Harker brings <laughs> Polly in, professional. into the fold. Yeah. And, in the fold of crazy. Yeah, so on the one hand, is she really that naive? I mean, she was loved, uh, but what a Rosemary's baby vibe to this whole scene. And then, uh, well, also I don't, you probably have not seen hot fuzz, right? No. Okay. Well, there's this scene of hot fuzz where, um, you know, like Simon Pegg is a cop. He uncovers this big conspiracy and, you know, the people keep repeating the greater good. Every time, every time someone says the greater good, everyone repeats the greater good. Uh, it's hilarious. You you should watch. I mean that that is a funny effing movie. But anyway, well, well I digress. Well, you, and then hail Lady Harker, hail Hayden Harker. Yeah. Of oh, it's so. Oh my God, it's so creepy. It's so ah. Uh, well, well like, right out of Macbeth. Yeah, too much. In the opening much scene. Sense, you know, like, um, like you see why she wants to get out of there. You know, like this this is freaking weird. Well, right, and and. I, we don't see her turn against her husband in this episode. I don't think. I mean, we know we no. know she does. No, hey, well, you know, I think Fred said she like lovingly was sitting on her bed. And I guess maybe I'm just coloring it with what we learn later about like kind of like the truth of their relationship. But I don't get that vibe from older Polly and older um, Julian at all. You know, well, like, right, but why continue with the plan into middle age? Well, it's the because the plan, right? It's like why do couples stay together and tolerate one another for decades when they don't really like each other anymore? Okay, well, because they got kids, or that you know this, that, and the other. You know, don't want they can't afford to get divorced. You know, don't you know all these reasons? So, you know, I, I think the. Um, you know, she buys into the plan is is what I feel like. And, and again, this is not 100% remembering what happens in the next episode. Um, and so she, you know, she, you know, basically is taken over, right? 
uh, as I think we well we have seen like who's boots on the ground, who's running stuff, right? It's not Julian, it's Powell. Well, right, he's on his deathbed. Yeah. Right. Well, insofar as he's in bed, he's going to get, you know, shot. Well, he's 99 years old at that point, I think. We're, yeah, that's true. But, um, you know, he's still- so, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, that scene where, you know, she tells him that uh, – God, I can't think of the 1941 detective's name. Uh, White Whiteman uh, didn't come through, and he's like, "Well, you know what must be done. She won't feel a thing." And it's like, okay, you could back out at this point if you want to, but yeah, you could not kill. Well, like see, you know, the whole time when we're talking about Whiteman, we're and we've discussed this before. Like, you know, how do they they know what's going to happen? Right? What you think? Elias totally knows what's going to happen. I mean, who would not look up like, oh, how am I going to, if I went back in time, how did I die? You know, like he totally looked that up, right? But but here, when she says Whiteman didn't come through, right, that's that, that's that thing about free will we were talking about, you know? Like like this plan is not a script per se, I think, as, as like you said earlier, like a, a, a couple suggestions, right, or a general roadmap. But it requires people to make individual decisions. And, you know, saying that Whiteman didn't come through, like, I guess that they anticipate that he actually would have killed Esther. And that because he didn't now requires for them to do something, which is going to directly lead to Whiteman killing both of them. Right. So why did they expect that Whiteman was going to do it in the first place? Exactly. Exactly, so that's where that's what does my head in now every time i watch every every episode of the show especially the later ones man it's just like woo. Okay. just the things like oh my god right now i ask so whether young polly is really that naive to you know buy into this whole cult that that her husband is asking her to buy into and that leads me to older lady harker and why she accepts this guy who's clearly not her son as her son. And what I did, again, one of those details that I didn't notice before is that she's running out of money. And he tells her, I'll give you money and I'll give you love. And you might say, and, and again, it's one of these things that that i've picked up watching all all of these you know aristocratic english tv series and movies and all that that these families appear wealthy but they're really not you know in in so many cases that you know they're not paying their servants or they're letting servants go or they can't afford the upkeep and you know that that come borrowing so many of these families just borrow right Ass tons of money, right? Yeah, you know, to keep up appearances, and of course, you know, when the person finally dies, whatever, then all the accounts, you know, come to account. Right. So, I guess there's a level of desperation that Lady Harker feels, and you know, when he offers money and love, well, you know, that fine. Let's let's see how it plays out, and you know, he, as he tells her, I'll give, I'm going to give you a family, I'm going to give you grandchildren, or I guess. A grandchild, anyway, that that we know of. 
Yeah, right. So, because that's, I mean, the the first time I watched this, I'm like, why? Because she, she's not dotty. No. She doesn't look at this guy and say, oh, yeah, I guess that's my son. You know, like if nothing else, like that, well, I mean, obviously he looks nothing like his son. He's not even the same size. He, he goes to get into his clothes and he's just like, the clothes are way too big for him. So, but um, what I really liked is when he first comes back, he speaks with a very lower class. I don't, it's not a Cockney act. I'm not, that's obviously an expert on British, but it's definitely a working class accent that he speaks with when he first gets to 1890. And then a year later, he has a very posh, refined accent. And you don't really notice it, but when he's talking to Lady Harker, um, the difference in how he speaks and how she speaks is very clearly, um, you know, that that he is speaking with a much more working class accent. She's got the very aristocratic accent. But a year later, he's passing off as, as one of the, uh, the great and the good there. So he's learned how to talk as he's learned lots of stuff, right? Let me jump back to that uh, scene in the uh, – at first I thought it was a base, the basement of the house, but, but we see when they are walking back that they, they, you know, he must have led her to some you know, outbuilding on the property, and that's where you know, all the cult members are. And – he shows her Defoe's body in the glass, which is, of, of course, you know, she recognizes as the subject of the painting, tells her he's a messenger and our part is to be keeper of his secrets. Uh, what do we make of that? Weird. I mean, you know, it always puzzles me where, uh, you know, an individual or a group will hold on to documents that yeah. incriminate them instead of simply destroying them. Yeah, or stores them in the bathroom right, right. I mean, of their freaking mansion in, in Florida. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. it's insane. It makes no sense, right? Um, yeah, you know, he, he just, I mean, he knows how integral Polly is to this. And he needs her on board. And, you know, like we said, he needs her to choose to be on board, right? That's that's a crazy thing. But, of course, he he does have a certain amount of confidence that she'll say yes, that she'll be on board because she's already done it. You know, he, he, he historically knows. He's told himself that on, on record, right? He's literally on record saying that she's done it. So – you know, so he has that confidence, but he still has to be her making that that choice. Well, right, and and of course she's understandably terrified about her baby's safety. Now sure. we know, and her babies are proud, and we know <laughs> that her baby is perfectly safe because the, her baby is so integral to yeah. the plan. So because because Whiteman's gonna jam a broken bottle into her baby's throat in uh 50 yeah, years but he has the good sense to keep the pressure on until uh somebody gets there with a band-aid but uh does it happen yeah yeah right he, he just okay. sits there and holds his you know uh, arm and then we see we see him later um but he then explains how it is that he knows the future it's where i'm from 
And then, of course, everybody's chanting, no, you are love to the baby, and Polly's yeah. freaked out. And then the father begets the son, the son begets the father. And, and of course, we understand what that means because we've talked about the creep factor and and i think you mentioned yeah. last week about the having sex with his great grandmother or what's well, actually his great 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 i did okay. realize i was i, I did say great grandmother a lot but it's his great great grandmother right. um even i skip generations when i'm doing right. this stuff but you know you would think he would like a little soft pedal this introduction into the the cult a little bit more rather than just having her come down, seeing all these weird people chanting, you know, you are loved at her. Like, you just think maybe he could find a way to, you know, like do a, you know, like a soft opening on this or something, you know? <laughs> well, maybe he just figures, let's just uh, rip the bandaid off and, and yeah, get, get right. I, to- I might've been like, you know, just over breakfast one day, like, so, you think about time travel do you think it really I, I bet you it does exist i bet you, you can travel back in time you know just like kind of like setting the table a little bit instead of just throwing it right into the pool but you know like you said maybe just rip that band-aid off and get it over if with. i don't exist then neither does our son and and again we've talked about you know this has to be so much more difficult to wrap your head around in 1890 as it would be in 2023. And we think about how difficult it would be in 2023 even. Yeah. Um, because anyone who said that you would think was completely mental. You right. would not at all think, right. yeah, this is the guy I want to hitch my wagon yeah. to, you know, like, um, you know, so that opening scene in 2053, where we see Iris sitting outside, there's several dead bodies with the white sheet over them. Um, so, so this is just the aftermath of that firefight, where uh, they've taken out, I guess, the the members of Chapel Perilous. And it's just that the Chapel Perilous hideout is out in the middle of nowhere. Well, Gabriel popped that one, one of the cops, too. Right, right. But, I mean, that's, that's what this is. I mean, because it almost right. looks like the aftermath of a, you know, bombing or something. But, but uh, you know, it just must be, you know, where their hideout actually is. But they offer her a promotion um, to get information out of her. And, and yeah. you know, I'm thinking like, oh, that's where uh, uh, they got it on Money Heist. They got it from bodies when they're uh, offering. <laughs> Dude, I'm watching last night. I'm thinking like, they killed Kenny. Yeah. I'm not going to say who. They, you know who I mean. Right. I'm like, I, oh, maybe I, you forgot. I, well, Loads of people. Well, that's a good point. Shows. That's a good point. But anyway, I, I would. <laughs> I'm not sure which one. But there's there are some definitely some upsetting deaths on Money Heist. And by the way, I started watching Money Heist Korea, yeah. and it turns out it's the same as the Spanish. Oh, okay. I, I thought that might be the case. So, so I, I watched like the first episode. And I'm like, you know what? It was. It still was really cool, and it was fun to watch. But I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I, maybe I'll come back. Yes, yeah. I'm gonna put a pin yeah. on this one. Let's see. What do we got? Uh, but I love that you're making Money Heist references in the show. All right. I know. I just got to be sure not to give any spoilers because, uh, well, it took yeah. me a long time to uh, get to it. It might not take some of the listeners as long to, to check out Money Heist. It should because that show is amazing. It, it really is. But uh, anyway, um, what else we haven't talked about? 
Well, I mean, in that final scene um, where Maplewood apologizes to the wounded Defoe and uh, he asks her, you know, what she's prepared to do. And, and, and you know, he, he starts talking about his feeling his body split and divide and how we've. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but the one thing that I did want to ask you about when she finds his notebook and, and opens up that diagram and, you know, the, the concentric circles and, it, you know, goes to the time periods in the past. But we also see kind of time periods that are unmarked into the future. Now, right. there's no year, you know, designation, but. You know, we know he has said that, you know, time travel into the future is possible as well. So. Right. And he might be okay in the future. Just again, if Iris makes it, then she can be there with the little head thing from her brother to save him in the future as well. She's just not there yet. Which brings me to, again, like, I feel like now. Like, I think everyone who keeps saying, because even Gabriel said, we keep, like, it's something along the lines of, you know, we keep trying, we, we just, we, we don't get it right. You know, like, we keep trying, keep failing. That's that whole thing of everyone is so convinced that they're in a loop, right? That, like, it's not like he's conscious of previous attempts to stop Mannix. It's just he hasn't been stopped. The world is like it is. So we must have tried before and failed but i think if, if everything is actually linear right that really like max just kind of goes back the one time and yes he creates things by going back but they're because time keeps going they they are able to change things right it's not a loop it's not um fate right it's not foretold it's it's not predestined you know that they they are as the show ultimately pans out they are able to you know and end the loop if as you if said by ending the loop it just continues on the linear timeline that was happening before well uh, which was kind of what i took to be your meaning earlier in the discussion that well maybe it's not an actual loop in the first place right so just because he's saying it's a loop doesn't make it so Yes. Um, Everyone who's ready to tear that apart, have at it. Well, it's a very half-baked idea. Yeah, and I don't so, remember if I ranted. I don't mean baked like I was like smoking weed when I was doing yeah. it. I mean, I just mean like it just came to me and I kind of ran with yeah. it and hijacked Dave with it. Okay. And I don't know if I ranted last week about showrunners and creators feeling the need to explain their work. So, you know, maybe the showrunner said, oh, yeah, it's a time loop. And if you did, Shut the hell up. <laughs> well, it's just so many of the characters. Like I said, I mean, the characters all assume that it is a loop, right? And they, they assume that there's nothing that can be done because they all, the, you know, Harker thinks everything's going to work out just fine because it always has before. And I, I must have done this, even though I'm only aware of my current timeline. You know, I, it, it must keep happening and happening, right? Um, but, if it's not, right, then that's that's where they get them because it's not actually a loop. It's not actually repeating over and over that there is an end to the the, the to the timeline to his narrative. Right. And, uh, you know, we will talk next week about 
you know, certainly the final scene that, you know, is pretty much the WTF moment in, in the series, but right. Anyway, what else? Um, so we haven't talked a ton about poor Alfred Hilliard, but there's a couple things. One, uh, the rage he must feel when Harker, like, come on, Harker, you know, you're going to have him killed. Do you really need to go to his face and tell him you're, you're, you're going to go after his daughter? Like, it's your great, great, great grandfather, bro. Like, have a little respect. Have a little, like, like yeah, that's what you're going to do, but you don't need to tell him that, right? Like, the amount of rage that Alfred dies with in his heart, like, unbelievable. And just that feel of impotence of not being able to do anything as this freaking guy basically says, hey, I'm I'm going to go F your daughter, you know? That's oh my god, um, and then the, the the guy, the guy who kills him, is the guy who back in the jail is like, um, you know, at least you go to the new place in dignity. Yeah, it's like <laughs> or not dignity. He just wrapped a chain around his neck and killed him. That's dignity, bro. You um, got the white sheet, and that's that's like eighteen nineties rough ride. Yeah. Like that's like what we see, unfortunately, uh, cops doing nowadays, um, but just a little bit differently. So Iris says, "I'm I'm going to replace the MFR word with, as the Beatles did. I don't know if you knew the Beatles did this, but when like Paul McCartney and John Lennon were writing their music, oftentimes when they were just writing the music, instead, you know, before they're in the lyrics part, they would just use the word scrambled eggs. Okay, uh, most famously with Let It Be, I think." I can't remember if there's actually a recording of Paul McCartney singing Let It Be, just saying scrambled eggs, scrambled eggs, you know, whatever. So I'm going to use the word scrambled eggs instead of uh, mother effer. But so Iris says, you're coming back. Scrambled eggs, right? Like you're coming back, period, then scrambled eggs. Or she could be saying, you're coming back, scrambled eggs, like comma, right? Like now, address, not like the not the, um, the scrambled eggs as an expletive. Like, oh my god, more like you're coming back, Gabriel. Who I'm using this different word to refer to you, Gabriel. Okay, so noun of address or not? Okay. Yes, exactly. All right. Polly asked. Uh, Julian, if she can mention Julian's name to her dad, just to let him know that you got someone on your side. And that's like the height of verbal irony, right? Because her going to her dad saying, hey, Julian Harker is going to help us out. That would offer Alfred zero comfort whatsoever. You know, all the, the servants, like, can you imagine being a servant for Lady Harker when she brings this guy by and saying, look, my son is back. Yeah, and she's like, you remember so-and-so. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, but not, uh, not what was the dog? Oh, name? yeah. Can we get a new dog? Can't get by the dog, man. The dog's like, dude, you are, you're not, you're not the guy. Ah, I can't remember. I guess the last thing is um, that, you know, Shara remembers 
that Morley talked about um, making Elias do something he's going to regret, right? And that's going to be obviously the the big mover. The next episode is this this idea of regret. How you know before? Um, oh, that's the other thing. Yeah, Whiteman puts a bullet in his head, just like in uh, you know Alan Alan from uh, Minnesota's for you, buddy. In Miller's Crossing, John Polito has the famous line, always put one in the brain. You know, it's like when you shoot someone, make sure you shoot them in the head to do the job properly, which, you know, Whiteman must have watched Miller's Crossing because he does just that. Um, or The Walking Dead. Yeah, right, right. Or any zombie movie at all. Uh, Mannix ultimately is, on the, before he dies, he he's full of regret, right? It didn't work out like he wanted. He, he didn't, you know, like, remember, like, you know, if we, we boil it down to his, his whole, what this whole thing was him wanting to be loved, right? No, you are loved. That's all he wants. He wants someone to love him. So he goes back and F's his great, great, great grandmother <laughs> to find love, um, which, well, we'll talk about it when we get to Fred's feedback. But, you know, in the end, now, having been married for ages and now, like, the the, the zing has gone out of the relationship, I guess, um, he is he, he regrets it all. Like, I don't know if he regrets it all, but he, he's full of regrets and everything. So, which is, like, that's the, that's the pressure point that the, the chapel people are going to press, yeah. right? All right, well, let's go ahead and get to listener feedback, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Alan from the Netherlands with some feedback for the miniseries Bodies, Season 1, Episode 7. I just realized that getting audio feedback from three people is just too much for you. And since the other two are called Alan, I think I... Also take the name Alan, and you just can refer to Alan said, Well, this series is just too complex. Everybody gets everybody mixed up. You, as well as Alan from England, got Hayden Harker and Callaway mixed up. And now Alan from England got Sahara Hassan and Iris Maplewood mixed up. Because he said, Hassan will travel through the strut, but it's actually Maplewood. And after the travel, she loses her spine electronics, as we will see in the ending of this episode 7. Hassan just grew old between 2023 and 2053. Last week, Wayne was very much disturbed that Elias Julian Harker uh, had sex with his own great-great-grandmother. But genetically, that's not so bad. In many, many countries, and we discussed that before in another podcast, you are allowed to marry your first cousin. And in many countries, that even is a custom. In that situation, so two first cousins, on average, you share 12.5% of your genome. And for your great-great-grandmother, that's only 6.25%, not on average, but precisely... And I refer to that because in this episode we see the, well, more or less a blossoming love story between Polly and Julian Harker. 
And that relationship doesn't get disturbed, actually, when Julian tells her that baby Hayden is his great-grandfather. You still see them at the end of the episode as a loving couple, sitting at his bedside on her way to kill Esther. As you know, I love details, and we saw here the drawings of the bank vaults, especially bank vault number 6, and if you zoom in on the drawing of the adaptation of Bank Vault 6, you see that there is planned a steel cradle. Of course, this will be the place where the bomb will be. When I saw the series the first time, I just thought, okay, these are building plans for the bank building, including the vaults, just showing that he already gained so much money that he could be a bank owner. But now we see it's the adaptations of the bank fault, where the bomb will probably be placed between 1941 and 2023. As a little nitpick, of course there is an inconsistency here, because when Julian Harker, or alias Mannix, went through the strut, he ordered Daniel Defoe to put it on 1890, but he arrived in 1889. So, or the strut is not precise enough, or the makers of this series have created an inconsistency here. In the previous podcast, I said that I didn't remember anything anymore about Hillinghead being dead, but okay, that becomes very clear in this episode. Of course, everybody wants to know how this story would go if Polly knew that Julian was behind the killing of her father, telling her that it was suicide. By the way, by killing him, he actually killed his great-great-great-grandfather. Well, he didn't do it himself, but he ordered it. When we switch to 2053, I wonder why Maplewood is crying. Is that is just everything is too much for her? Or that she realizes that Mannix is not the leader to follow and everything Daniel told is true? Or that she actually has a kind of crush on Daniel and she is just sad about losing him? And then she goes into Daniel's briefcase and finds this drawing about the different dates. It's very reminiscent to Dark, by the way. On that drawing with the circles of time, you also see future time points without a date, though. So perhaps, Dave, that's your second season? And she finds a note. If caught on the next drop, might survive, question mark. And then she remembers his last words, Catch me if you can, which is also the title of the episode. And actually she does, with the help of her brother and Sahara. I'm constantly switching between the idea that Daniel DeVoe split it into multiple copies and arrived at different times, and the situation that it's just different loops, and he arrived in succession. So trying every time again, and in every loop he landed up in another time. In episode 5 I thought in loops, in episode 6 I thought in multiple times at the same time, and now I think again in loops. Confusing, to say the least. Okay, that will be all. Greetings, all the best. Ellen from the Netherlands. 
Hello to Dave Wayne and everyone at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Alan from England here, mostly with feedback about Bodies, Episode 7, Catch Me If You Can. What else I'm watching? We watched all six episodes of a series called The Doll Factory on Paramount+, Plus, set at the time of the Great Exhibition in Victorian London in 1851, comprising equal parts murder, mystery, and the artistic struggles in getting your works displayed at the venerable event. Really enjoyed it. In Bodies, Catch Me If You Can, the titles eventually reveal piano keys, clearly a reference to Polly and her meetings with Harker. Most of the episode, especially the first half, is indeed the Mannix, Harker, Polly, Hillinghead saga, after this episode, I went straight on to the finale again, and it was interesting to compare the original loop events with the ever-so-subtly changed one in the next episode. Sometimes there's the same dialogue, but expressed in different ways, giving different emotions and feelings. Sometimes it's the opposite dialogue, such as whether Polly likes her earrings or not. When Mannix Harker arrives and looks out of that window, he seems so happy to have got there. The funny thing is, that view of the London rooftops, including St. Paul's Cathedral and Westminster Abbey, looks exactly the same now as it would have done a hundred years ago, possibly two or three hundred years ago. But of course, you can't see the cars or the signs down at street level, which would have been different. But of course, his revelation is because it's very different from the post-bomb and rebuilt 2051 skyline. I was wondering how Harker knows to go and find Defoe when he arrives in 1890, but of course those records have been transmitted from the older Harker to the younger Mannix as part of the loop. We see here that he was also still briefly alive. I guess that was the case in all times, because he was shot and dying, but not dead, when he left 2051. Talking of 2051, back at that time we see the aftermath of the disappearance of both Mannix and Defoe and its effects on Maplewood. And now I get the answer to my question about do people jump forward as well as back. I have to confess, when I watched this the first time, it was very late at night and I might just possibly have missed a few scenes. Well, that's another good reason for a rewatch. I did vaguely remember that the older Hassan was still alive and Maplewood's brothers, because she still has work to do. And what a favour. What have you got for a hole in the head? And of course, he has just the very thing. When Maplewood jumps, she knows it's going to be tough, not least because she won't have that spine cybernetic support device. That really is a quantum leap. And we can't blame her stronger version of, oh boy. Looking forward to talking about the final leap home next time. Take care. Alan from England. All right. Now, Alan Thomas in Minnesota checked in via a quick email. He said he forgot about the, uh, the deadline time. But he says, not a fan of how much they're spelling out all the details. I had pretty well filled in in my mind. What's the point? I sure hope they're going to explain why they keep the scientist in a tank of liquid, surely not water, maybe formaldehyde. They knew the scientist guy arrived without any clothing and even without the bullet that went into his head, yet it didn't occur to any of them 
that she, Iris, would arrive without her spine gizmo. And this was my least favorite episode thus far. I, I mean, I guess I would just say uh, about Iris and her spine that everything transpires so quickly. And I'm yeah. not sure they have put two and two together about organic versus non-organic material. Right. Absolutely not. She she makes a very snap decision. Right. She literally says, fuck it. Yeah. And then, you know, like this is not someone who has, when you say F it, you are, you are, that means I, I don't, I don't feel like thinking about it. I'm just going to do it. Right. And that's what she does. She doesn't, she doesn't think she just does. Um, and, and so that's what, uh, yeah, I, she clearly did not, you know, do the calculus on this. Right. One. And we don't see anything. Of course, we only see you know very small number of his notes gabriel's that is so we don't know whether he has made notations about arriving naked and no bullet or anything like that and and of course we talked about the fact that uh um, you know julian arrives in 1889 and and i had mentioned well uh, you know, didn't they find it strange that this bullet that nobody can recognize? And I think you pointed out at the time, no, because it didn't go through. So, right. Anyway, um, all right. We also heard from Suzanne Beer this week. Okay. I got this one. Uh, dear Dave and Wayne, happy new year to you guys. The fact that I write this for the second time means I can also congratulate myself, my one year anniversary of listening to your podcast. Well, thank you. I know that Fred and many other listeners of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch will laugh about this, but hey, a year is a year. Thank you for the great entertainment in 2023 and helping me through the not always easy back half of the year. But as I've said before, routines help in a lot of ways. Some things I definitely want to leave in 2023, but Sci-Fi TV Rewatch is not one of them. Here, here, Suzanne. I like it. Uh, thanks also for making me watch Bodies, which I really enjoyed. I only got around to start watching it in early January, and I finished it just yesterday. It was hard waiting to hear your discussions, but now, after having listened to your first three episodes of coverage in Bodies, I am glad that I didn't ignore your spoiler warning, because it would indeed have spoiled the whole thing for me. It, yeah, it would have, for sure. So I'm glad you listened to it. Um, I'll have a few days off at the end of this coming week, and I look forward to catching up on your discussions then. For me as a listener, it's like dark with sci-fi TV rewatch all over again, which is, of course, just another way of saying I love hearing you guys talk about all the bootstrapping. Nothing better than hearing you two talk about a time travel show. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, More feedback to come very soon. Until then, all the best. As always, Suzanne, your feedback is amazing, and thank you. I love reading it. Fred, a.k.a. Alan from the Netherlands. Um, Yeah, Fred, thanks for making things even easier or more complicated. I'm not sure. Um, Well, if we can just say Alan, then we don't have to worry about it. Good point. I felt bad, though. I I definitely, whenever I I referred back, I I had to scroll down all the way down my notes to make sure I was attributing the uh, correct person. Yeah. You know, Fred recalls the uh, bank blueprints, which – I, you know, I think I noticed it the first time, but I don't remember now. But certainly, you know, Fred, you know, made me 
pay more well, attention. Well, it, it, it meant a lot more the second time. Right. Because like, I actually was like, oh, what are those the blueprints to? When the first time around, I think I, I probably barely noticed that detail at all. Yeah. Um, all right. So what else? But good call on that, yeah, Fred. So what else did you want to bring up about Fred? Um, well, I just want to say, Fred, that I understand your science about, you know, the 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 uh, genetic removal between a person and their great great grandmother, I still find it creepy. So that's just that's nothing to do with science. It, it probably about me too much. So anyway, I think that's it. I think the other stuff we actually uh, covered when we were talking during our discussion. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now, Alan in England, uh, we don't know how long Defoe lives each time he appears in another time period. Do we? I mean, you, you, well, I mean, they, you know, we assume that they found him not too long after the body appeared and he's already dead. Right. So not very long. Right. Know. That, that would certainly appear to be the it's case. Like he, he was in long harvest lane for days. Well, right? Well, well, right. But the, the, the case where Iris finds him in, in the first episode and you know, he's alive well, well right. I mean, it takes her a few minutes before she, True. you know, goes and actually, you know, comes upon his body in, in Long Harvest Lane. So, you know, in some of the other cases, it seemed like the body was found much more quickly. So, again, not to belabor the point, what are we dealing with here? Is it really a time loop as everybody seems to think? And when I say everybody, I mean the people in the story, not the, yeah. not us and the listeners. Not this guy, yeah. Dave. Um, and then he asks, how does Harker know to find Defoe in 1890? Because he's already done it? Yeah, exactly. He, he already knows. He knows exactly when he's going to show up because he, he already knows. He knows all that stuff, yeah. right? Right. But then it goes back to, you know, when they go into the throat. And what occurs to me on this last time I watched it and, and something that Defoe tells Iris, is it getting shot in the eye that causes him to split or is the splitting into multiple time periods, just a byproduct of time travel through the throat. Because as we said, right. then, you know, has uh, Mannix appeared in other time periods? And- so I, I actually have a response to this okay. one because Gabriel says he got shot. And so he wasn't strong enough to follow Mannix. Okay. Right? So I think if like Mannix goes back with a singularity of purpose and vision, okay. right? He knows where he wants to go. So he and he's though he was shot in the leg, but still strong, quote unquote, strong enough to be able to make his destination. Gabriel just being shot in the eye is obviously under a bit of distress, and therefore is unable to have that focus that uh, Manix had, and so therefore he shoots off into different timelines, which also that we can ask then about Iris when she goes in, right? Because we see her kind of like splitting up into different, like, yeah. right? We see different variations. So 
and of course with the very the, the coda to the tv show like would suggest that that's exactly what happened all right anything else um yes uh, so alan mentions how as um Manix looks out of his window that that's exactly what London would look like nowadays. And that is like one of the things that I love about places like London uh, and Paris and well, Paris, maybe not. That's still, yeah. Um, that like the, the old, like it's just the, 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 the oldness of everything there. Like we don't have that in the States, right? Uh, buildings here are at best, you know, 200 plus years. Right. Um, but like literally when I was in London one time, I went to a pub and they had hot cross buns hanging. Well, they weren't hot anymore, but they had buns, cross buns hanging from the ceiling. Dave, they had buns in there that were a thousand years old. I am not BSing you. Okay. 1000 years old, a hot cross bun hanging from the ceiling of this place. Like, that is crazy, and I thought very, very cool. Agreed. All right, you want to leave it there? Yeah. All right. How can once you talk about thousand-year-old hot cross buns, where else can good, you really good go? Point, Dave? Good point. So, uh, Suzanne, yeah. Alan Cubed, thanks for uh, checking in with your feedback. Um, got one more episode to go, and uh, one more week before we have to uh, actually make a decision. So. No. Yeah. Anyway, all right. No, that'll do. I want to do it. <laughs> that'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about bodies. Anything going on in your genre TV world? Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. We'll be back next week to talk about episode eight, the season and probably series finale of the Netflix sci-fi thriller Bodies. But until then, huh. why have we stopped?